Hey everybody, and welcome into our first episode of Season 2 of the Iron Stream Podcast. My name is Will Shingleton, and I will be your host throughout this season. And we're going to start this season off with a very relevant topic that you might not realize is as important as it actually is. Our first author is out of Charleston, South Carolina, and has done some pretty groundbreaking work in starting a national discussion about caregiving. Now, if you're like me and don't know exactly what caregiving is or how it works into a Christian context, Mary Tudorow's new book, The Heart of the Caregiver, is exactly where you need to look. Our interview with Mary is fantastic, and she gave us a really fantastic interview that we're really excited to share with you guys. So to kick off Season 2, here's our talk with Mary Tudorow. back into season two of the Iron Stream podcast. Our guest today is coming to us all the way from Charleston, South Carolina. It's Mary Tudorow. Mary, how are you doing this morning? I'm amazing. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. So thrilled to have you on the show. Mary is the author of the new book, The Heart of the Caregiver. And Mary, just to kind of give the people a little bit of background on the book, how did you come to that idea and... um the title specifically, when I read that, I was like the caregiver. I feel like that could go a bunch of different ways. So kind of help us out with what that means specifically and how you came to the idea to write this in the first place. Well, my husband and I care for, we have two adult children and our daughter, Mary Addison is 27 and she was born with mental and physical challenges and a chronic seizure disorder. She still seizes just about every day. And, um, I went through a real crisis having a child with special needs, having to give up my career and our social life and all that to um, to do this and to do it well. Um, and what it took was a heart change. There was nothing anybody could do to really fix our situation. But in order for this not to just turn me into a grumpy, prickly, depressed mess, I had to go through a serious heart change. And so um, that's where the title came from. And that's what the inspiration was, was my own transformation. And um, I really felt inclined to write down and share what God was doing on my heart so that other people could have the same positive experience with caring for someone. Gotcha. So this was just as much on a personal level of caregiving as it was a professional level. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I, I don't have anything professional to do with caregiving. I was a um, anchor woman and a journalist and a public relations consultant before this. <laughs> and um, having to uh, take the time to learn not just how to take care of a baby. She was our first child, but someone who was in, critical condition most of her young life um, was just a dramatic shift for me into something I had zero experience with. Yeah. And so for somebody, a family member who finds themselves in that situation, um, whether they, you know, intended it or not, um, you know, facing the choice of giving this person the care that they need or, continue on with their career, like you said, social life, whatever. What are some of those issues that 
families who are put in that situation uh, face? Well, I think, I think the most shocking thing to most people is that here's a family member, and I don't care whether you're caring for your child with special needs, your spouse who gets cancer, a parent who comes down with Alzheimer's, um, whatever the situation is, it's shocking to find yourself saying, yes, I will care for someone that I love, and then discovering that requires you to just lay down most of the rest of your plans. Uh, if you're going to be a good caregiver, your need is uh, to be available to these people for whatever it is they need, whether it's going to the hospital, going to a doctor's office, you know, getting therapy, advocating for them. Suddenly your life and your life's plans take a back seat. There are most people think that they can take on caring for someone that they love and just keep going with their own life. But I think that's the most shocking thing to most people is how much it means to have to sacrifice when you take it on. Yeah. And it's not just them either. Um, who all kind of gets wrapped up in that? Give us an idea of when people do choose to take that on, who else in their life is going to be affected and just the, kind of the sense of the scope of the whole situation. I, you know, I got to say, well, I don't think there are many people in the whole circle of the family that aren't affected. Uh, you know, obviously there's the person with the medical condition themselves then there's whoever stepped up and said, yes, I'll do the care. And even though there are some amazing families where the care is shared, um, very often once one person steps up, everybody else runs for the hills, <laughs> you know. And so it ends up a burden being on one person. But then, yes, the stress of that affects in our family. It it really affected our marriage. Um, it totally cost me my social life um, and it affected our finances. Everyone was worried about its effects on our young son. Uh, my in-laws get involved and then everybody starts having an opinion. You know, I, I don't think there are many relationships within a family that, and, and within your circle of friends that aren't affected um, when you take on the care of someone else with critical needs. Yeah. And I, I personally didn't realize how big of an issue this was uh, nationally, even, and how much attention it's gotten recently until I uh, read a really good article on Forbes that you sent me for this interview. Um, and this is a big deal. This is, you, know, you use the word, the, a caregiver crisis. And um, it's not inaccurate at all. So just kind of give people a, a little bit more of understanding of how this became such a national issue and just a little bit on the raise act. Well, uh, as far as my family was concerned, it was a crisis because of this whole issue of I had been a career woman and I had to lay down my job. And so that caused a huge financial crisis. And that is typical of most families that find themselves in this position. Somebody has to, give up their level of income, even if they don't completely have to give up their job, a lot of times their earnings suffer. So it causes a financial crisis. And there's a whole lot about that in some of the articles I sent you, um, that this is really a problem because sometimes the person that takes on the, on the care of another, not only are they um, losing uh, the level of financial stability they had, 
but the cost of alternative care and additional treatments that aren't covered by insurance can be staggering as they were in the care of our daughter. She racked up $2 million worth of bills in the first year of her life. So it completely wiped out our savings. And then in addition to that, uh, we don't have plans for um, what will the person who gives up their income and everything to care, how will they get any kind of health insurance and all if they're not working for an employer any longer? It, it just it, it, you know, it could follow a million um, tributaries of trouble, as I call it. Um, but then on uh, a national basis, there are so many people now uh, with the baby boomers turning 65 plus with the numbers of children with autism alone increasing. And then uh, there are some national statistics that say as many as one in six children are born with some kind of disability, be it deafness, blindness, um, autism, cancer, muscular dystrophy, you know, that, that those numbers are staggering. And as of right now, uh, cancer isn't going anywhere. So uh, we are really in a, in a crisis with regard to what are we going to do? Uh, who's going to take care of all these people? Our facilities are full and the ones that aren't full are very expensive. And the direct care service worker, there's a crisis there before um, the year 2024. We're going to need five million additional direct care service workers. That's people who will come in your home and help you. Um, with the care of a loved one or the people who will be working in the facilities um, and nursing homes and stuff. So it really is a huge, huge crisis. And uh, finally, uh, the government has recognized this and through a bipartisan uh, act of legislation that recently got passed, it's called the Raise Family Caregivers Act. The government is trying to figure out a way to actually um, be more proactive in, uh, and I don't, I can't, I, to recognize is the R, assist is the A, to include is the I, to support is the S, and to engage is the E, family caregivers. Because not only is it a crisis with regard to um, the numbers of caring and what it's costing a family, um, it's it's becoming a problem with regard to uh, if the caregiver herself or himself doesn't get support, studies have proven that their own health then deteriorates. So it's, re it's really a mess, but it, it is so important that it has become an active, um, a past act of legislation for the Health and Human Services Division to try and come up with a solution. But will yeah. you? But you and I both know that what my book is all about is I believe that it is the job of the church to help support, mm -hmm. to bring family members back to Christ, and the love and support that's available through the power of God's Holy Spirit and through the fellowship of believers. I believe that's a huge part of the solution. Yeah, and that's something that we've. You know, whatever the topic is of, of the books that we've released, the authors we've talked to, that's something that we've always weaved into it. And just speaking to your own experience a little bit, um, talk a little bit more specifically about how the church can come alongside caregivers and even in your own 
uh, walk through this situation, how the church has helped you and your family? Well, interestingly enough, um, my experience has been um, that it was very difficult to reconnect to the church, Uh, not because of anything the church was doing. It was simply because of our situation. I was living in a hospital for five months, sleeping on the floor of an intensive care unit, you know, when she was young. And then we spent our lives traveling around the country to different specialists and things like that. And then let alone, we couldn't leave, you know, a child who could go critical any second in a church nursery, you know, while we went to church and it was almost impossible to find babysitters, let alone somebody who could give up a Sunday. So, so the very um, physics of trying to get our family to church on a Sunday was impossible. And we were invisible to the church because we weren't there. They didn't know what our need was. And I th- I think that's really a pattern for so many families is once they kind of disappear from the Sunday roster, uh, the church doesn't know what to do with them. And so the heart of the caregiver was developed as a tool for the church to be able to reach out and reconnect families with the gospel messages that were very specific to serving and caring for someone who's suffering. And then also, um, it's my dream that it will grow into a ministry that will offer the church instruction on how to better reach out to, to families, but also how to draw them in and also surround them with the care that they're, and support that they're so desperate for. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying our interview with Mary Tutterell. Just wanted to give you a reminder that Mary's book, Heart of the Caregiver, is out wherever books are sold. And we encourage you to get a copy to lead your small group through, lead your family through, or just for your own personal development on the caregiving issue. Thanks guys, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the interview. So let's talk a little bit about the book itself. And and first, before we even get into the structure and the study guides, which are all fantastic, I want to know how you got to the point where you're going from career news, doing consulting, and then going more to full-time caring for your daughter. At what point were you like, I can totally be an author and write down my thoughts and, like you said, eventually have the vision in the future of turning it into a ministry? It's been a really long process, but the turning point was – Uh, alone and desperate in my daughter's nursery one night um, when she was, I guess, only a couple of months old, uh, I was just weeping. And, you know, I had, I had been a church goer, but I was not a believer. Isn't that terrible? But that was my situation. And, um, but I knew enough to cry out to God that there was nothing else anyone could do that I needed the Lord. And I asked him, I said, how did Mary, the mother of Jesus, watch her son suffer and die like I'm watching my daughter suffer and die? And that was the very first time I really ever proactively poured myself out, hoping to get a response from God. And truly, 
I got a, he spoke to my heart saying, let her suffering be for my glory. That made no sense to me, but I felt its power. So I raced to the Bible and began reading about a God who knew exactly my situation. He knew what it was like to step down from glory, to empty himself, and to come down to earth to serve suffering, hurting people, to wash feet, to wade into crowds of sick people, um, and to do it on purpose, you know? And that blew my heart wide open, and I couldn't get enough of his word, and I couldn't get enough of developing a relationship with this God who, A, would speak so clearly to me, and B, whose word was full of everything I needed to hear that was just feeding my broken soul. And, Will, I didn't write the Bible study. Um, you know, I didn't just sit down and decide I could write. I journaled for, I guess, about six to seven years before I thought, I, I looked around in hospital rooms and in therapies and in schools of special needs kids. And you know, we were also caring for my mother-in-law with cancer and dementia at the same time. <laughs> so I was looking around at her age group, too, and going, I'm seeing so many families who are struggling with the same thing that was tearing our family apart. So I started um, a small group at my church, Seacoast, and uh, just we put the word out and people started coming. And his word, not my story, but his word was ministering to people in powerful ways. And you were just, I could just see other people were being transformed like I was. And he put the call on my heart to make it something that was available, you know, not just to my church and my little circle of people I could reach, but to find a way to make it available to anybody who was hurting. Yeah. And then that's a common thread that we've heard a ton in these kind of conversations. First of all, anybody out there listening who wants to be an author or wants to write their thoughts down on paper, it's probably going to take a lot longer than you realize to get to that point. So when you said six or seven years, we've heard 10 years, 12 years, it's just, it's a long process. And you mentioned earlier your heart change. Um, and then like how that led to it too. And thank you for guiding us through that whole ordeal. Cause I know that's, that's a pretty intimate and personal moment. So thank you for uh, enlightening us there. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the structure of the book because it, it is pretty unique and it is very practical. So when you got to formatting it, figuring out, okay, I have all these journals. I have, these thoughts, I know where I want this to go. Um, how did you get to the point where it was going to be like that study guide type structure? Well, I had already learned through my experience as a mother of a child with special needs. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I felt the same mm -hmm. way as an author. So I had already been broken enough to know that I had no clue how to do this and God was going to have to do it through me. And so the first step was really surrender and checking in with God was, is this what you want me to do? Cause I don't know how to do it. Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing was talking about it with other people, having this small group where we discussed these principles and it just started making sense through our discussions, the logical process of how people were going to get from point A to point B that you had to have done this part first before you can move on to this part. And it just began taking shape that way. 
both through revelation from God as well as through in faith, just putting it out there and letting those who would be ministered to by it really show me how they needed the material presented. Um, and it was very much the same journey he had put me on, which was this whole idea of uh, this five steps to transformation. And that's in the back of the book. And I suggest that when people do the book, they start with the five steps to transformation to see where they are in the beginning. And then they do it again at the end of 10 weeks to see how much they've changed. And um, that, that's kind of how it all fell into place. And so this is the heart of the caregiver is the first of the study guides that you have uh, put out and mapped out. So uh, tell us a little bit about the the next one that will come out and like how many are there going to be <laughs> like you've already, already done two. Um, and just eventually you mentioned, you know, setting it up as a ministry as you go forward. But what is what is the goal with with all of these guides and what do you hope that they'll do? Well, first and foremost of all. Uh, I really do hope that they will be a tool for the church, that it will raise the awareness. It, not only will it help individuals, but that it will raise awareness um, within the church of this need to minister to this group of people. Because it isn't just parents of children with special needs. It isn't just um, elderly people taking care of uh, um, an aging parent or an aging spouse. I mean, this is a multi-generational, multi-disability, multi-disease uh, study. It, it isn't for any one kind of um, disease or disability. It is, for, it is to minister to the heart of the person who finds themselves having to care for another person, no matter what it is, mental illness, behavioral issues, drug and alcohol abuse. You know, all those kind of things, because it doesn't minister to the disease or disability. It ministers to the individual who's doing the serving and caring. And so that can be anybody. But um, this is a huge area of family ministry that has gone unnoticed. The church obviously can see the person who's got the cancer, can see the person who's in the wheelchair. But uh the person, people who are doing the heavy lifting of caring have been overlooked and um, the time has come. And with the Ray's Family Caregivers Act, I believe the heart of the caregiver is actually the church's response to this act. Here's what we're going to do to help recognize, assist, include, support and engage family caregivers. Here's what we will do. Um, as far as how many books, well, I don't know. <laughs> I know that he had given... <laughs> Um, the heart of the caregiver content so clearly and then bang, the peaceful caregiver happened because there was such a demand for a follow up. Once people had done the heart of the caregiver, they wanted to go deeper. And uh, so it goes deeper into your journey of um, not only becoming a servant um, and discovering the honor of being called to serve another, but this peaceful caregiver takes it so far as to say, it's a place to find peace that can affect every aspect of your life, which sounds outrageous to probably most people who are caregiving right now. Um, but it's possible. It's what it's done for our family. So um, I don't know how many more there'll be. <laughs> I hope a lot more. I, I get the feeling there will be plenty more. Um, and I think what they are doing is just 
taking people deeper and deeper into a life of um, doing what the Gospels tell us to do, and that is to love and care for each other. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for another. And um, I think I think the influence of it is going to be more powerful than I can even imagine right now. Yeah, that's terrific. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for joining us. We have a ton of content for this interview. We've got a couple of links to the Forbes article about the Ray's Family Caregiver Act uh, and some other external links just to kind of get a little bit more background on the, the issue as it stands. If you want to learn more about Mary's book and her ministry, go to theheartofthecaregiver.com. is an incredibly kind and insightful person and a lot of her own personal experience in caring not only for her daughter but her husband's mother as well makes it into the book and if you have any questions about caregiving what it is how we can do it well how we can develop a better understanding about it i highly encourage you to read the book because it's really an issue that's under discussed nationally and not very many people understand what it is what its implications are and how to do it properly. If you want to read any more about Mary or want to read some of her other works, go to marytotoro.com, read her blog. She also contributes to the Caregiver Network blog, and there's a ton of content out there in the world of her speaking on podcasts like this and appearing on different shows, talking about caregiving and the book. Like she said, there is a part two in the works, and we really look forward to hopefully sharing that with you as well. Now, next Monday, we're going to have an interview with Dr. Otis Ledbetter, who has an amazing system to try and help people understand their soul's deepest hungers, how to address them, and how to deal with them in a Christian context. We really enjoyed sharing this time with you this week and can't wait to share what we have with you next week. Thanks so much. I'm Will Shingleton, and this has been the Iron Stream Podcast.